The worlds of public relations and SEO have been converging for, well, for as long as I can really remember now. In fact, there's now such a crossover that it's very difficult to pull them apart. A couple of years ago, Shannon McGurk left a traditional PR agency to join a digital agency that focuses heavily on SEO. In 2017, she was shortlisted for Young Search Professional of the Year, and she recently commanded a sold-out slot at the UK's premier search marketing conference, Brighton SEO. In today's podcast, Shannon and I chew the fat over the similarities and the differences between the approaches of PR and SEO people. In the traditional world, it may be a reach figure. It may be using another tool to measure, you know, share of voice. And in the digital world, for me specifically, we're looking at things like an increase in rankings for a subset of keywords, you know, 20 of the most important keywords that people are searching for in their search queries. Similarities in the sense that there's always clear goals defined, but the way in which you get there is different, I think. We also talk about why you cannot afford to stand still in digital. Ultimately, digital strategies, you can't have the same one for 12 months. Like, you just can't. And I think you can do that in the traditional PR world, can't you? You can say, look, I'm going to do four campaigns a year and it's going to run like clockwork and that's that's what it's going to do. But if you set out a strategy for 12 months for, for one client, that strategy that you had 12 months ago may not work in, for the next 12 months. We don't know sometimes if our campaigns are always going to work. We have processes and validation stages and stuff like that with our campaign ideas in what we do to try and uh, reduce risk. But ultimately, you, you sometimes just have to give things a go. And we reveal why domain authority is not necessarily all it's cracked up to be. It's so easy to become fixated on, you know, top tier sites with DAs of, say, 75 and above because clients may think, yeah, we need to get on there. They're going to have the biggest and best impact. But you have to remember that relevancy of that link with your brand is also something that Google's looking for. So Google wants a well-rounded backlink profile. If everything is DA 75 and above and on top tier press, you don't have that well-rounded backlink profile. This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. It's fair to say that you're joining me today on the back of a pretty triumphant appearance at (laughs) Brighton SEO. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah, we did all right. We did all right. Considering it was the session after lunch, and I'm sure a number of people, as people at Brighton SEO do, there was a few pints in pubs at lunchtime. (laughs) I got a fairly decent turnout and the two other speakers in my team as well were were pretty pleased. So yeah, it it was a good session, definitely. Well, when you say a fairly decent turnout, I've seen the tweets and the pictures <laughs> and I've seen people saying how there was only standing room and there were all of these people crammed into the room sitting on the floor. So I think you're being a bit <laughs> under-egging it there. <laughs> uh, maybe, but no one likes to, yeah, no one likes to kind of, I guess, blow their own trumpet too hard. But it was very surreal, I have to admit, kind of jumping on that stage and seeing people crammed in. It was very, yeah, it was. I was honoured to be there in the first place, but then when you get people actually turning up to see little old you yeah it's brilliant there's always that fear that you know no one's going to come yeah so it's also a relief when you've got faces staring back at you waiting to talk 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, like I say, looking at some of the tweets afterwards, people saying it was one of their favourite talks of the day and how inspired they were. So good for you. I think, it, it, you know, it obviously did a ma- an amazing job there. And you also did Whiteboard Friday uh, a year or so yeah. ago, didn't you? Yeah. So um, we were, we well, Paddy, um, one of the co-founders of Era, is pretty well known within the industry and he knows the guys at Moz very well, uh, particularly Rand, who was the kind of the founder of the software tool. Yeah. And they they were just about to bring out another version of the tool called um, Link Explorer, which essentially helps us kind of measure the value of links, uh, see the quality of them and stuff like that. And we're invited over to Seattle to kind of get a sneak peek of it, um, to work through it with the Moz guys and kind of give them some constructive feedback because we're the ones that will be using it every day. And while I was there, yeah, I was lucky enough to do a whiteboard Friday and have since been invited to speak at MozCon. So the whole, the whole speaking thing is snowballing a little bit <laughs> <laughs> well it's great news I mean it, it's great exposure for you but I mean it's great for the business as well and it shows yeah. how well you're doing so like I say good for you when I left my last agency job yeah you were at the time working for that agency which oh, is how wow. we know one another obviously yeah what led to the transition from what was a PR agency, pretty at that time, a pretty fairly traditional PR agency mm. to the world of digital and SEO? So there was a couple of things. Like, So personally, I was commuting quite long distances every day and knew that it, that wasn't sustainable. But then when you yep. look at it kind of longer term, I was starting to notice that, you know, magazines were slowing down in terms of they were moving from you know weekly publication dates into monthly some were even closing down kind of properly then that started to translate into newspapers and you know we were starting to see whole teams you know being made redundant and I guess another turning point as well the likes of the guys at the sun were ending up you know consolidating teams to become digital teams rather than just working for the print side of the paper and I guess I could start to feel at that and see that shift change within the industry Um, and I I was kind of considering well actually what do I want to be doing long term you know we live in a digital world we are digital natives my generation you know in particular it makes sense for me to be working in an environment with an online focus you know I I think we can also help prove our kind of a greater ROI so if we get an article let's say on the mail online that's got a followed link in it we know that that's then driving traffic back to our client sites likewise we can see how many shares it's got on social media and we can start to get engagement rates whereas I think if you're looking at a newspaper and you're seeing that you've got a tiny little nib and then you know the you know, a clippings company comes back to you and says oh that that the AVE of that is <laughs> yeah. five thousand pounds it's kind of <laughs> hard to put a number on how successful that piece of paper is and what that's doing for the brand whereas digitally you can actually see that you're shifting the needle for clients and I think that's where I get the biggest buzz as well where you're doing work that's making an impact. So you you moved over from PR to Mm. essentially digital PR but a lot more sort of SEO led stuff. Yeah. So what sort of skills from what you were learning in traditional PR did you take across to what you're doing now And, and what were those? I was fortunate enough, I guess, at the agency before we were, and you'll probably remember, Paul, we were so heavy on media relations and kind of 
building relationships with key contacts. And it was very much kind of almost having that black book of contacts that you could go out to, you would meet them at press shows and stuff like that. And that worked wonders when we were there um, because we were able to secure such big hits for our campaigns. I then took that kind of mentality and brought it kind of into error because I kind of I realized that with link building it was very strategic uh-huh. they were building outreach lists on and only including publications that say had specific metrics such as DA or PA or trust flow to their pages and that's how they were qualifying what was good whereas I could build the traditional kind of actual building relationships with the press, getting them into top tier sites. And I guess it's that always on steady drumbeat of traditional PR. That's probably the biggest thing that I've brought over. Because I guess in the link building world, you have X amount of campaigns a year, let's say five or six, every kind of six to eight weeks, whatever you want to do. When that campaign gets launched, they were then kind of leaving it. And actually, between kind of me and the and the really talented team members here, we've kind of built like a little bit of a digital PR newsroom. So whenever we build these campaigns, they're evergreen in nature. And then it means we can start to look for things like awareness days or I don't know, say if we were doing something around Amazon and it was Jeff Bezos's birthday, we then use that as the kind of opportunity to, to pitch in and get more coverage that includes more links and yep. you know chase harder for engagement rates to be increased with social media shares and stuff like that. So I think that's probably the biggest thing I took over, the the building of relationships, story hunting and storytelling as well, and how we can, you know, if we're doing a survey in the digital PR world now, what does that actually result in in headlines? And what are we trying to tell people? We're not just saying 25% of people don't like X anymore. We're trying to show the bigger impact of that. And I think the PR world, the traditional PR world, is really good at that storytelling side of things. Yes. So, yeah, I guess it was taking real traditional tactics that I learned at the old agency and kind of going up a gear um, into sixth gear for digital. And it seems to be working (laughs) at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like it's working. When you moved across, was there a steep learning curve for you on the digital side? Yeah, massively. And I absolutely have to credit like my two bosses for that because Paddy's very, he's very, very SEO minded. So he's wrote, you know, he's written books about link building. He's been on some of the biggest stages in our industry talking about it and the principles of it and like what good link building and SEO is. So being really honest, day one, I hadn't got a clue what a follow or a no follow link was. I didn't know how to track it. I didn't know the impact of it on rankings and traffic and stuff like that. So I went through a real learning curve with him to kind of get the basics of SEO under my belt. And I'm by no means an SEO at all, but I can now tell the difference between <laughs> links. Um, and then I guess for the, from the other side of things, Era's other co-founder, Matt, has a really technical background. So he can code, you know, he built Facebook games and stuff like that. So when we're creating this content and when we were doing it in the early days, I'd never spoken to a developer before in my life. And right. yet I had designs in front of me that I had to get an element of interactivity added to. And he very much, yeah, taught me kind of the basic principles of that. So the first six to 12 months, steep learning curve, but I'm still learning now, you know, I'm, I'm still finding that I'm learning different things about technical SEO or, you know, paid social and how that can, you know, increase the amplification of our campaigns. So I think, again, that's the really interesting thing about digital. The landscape changes so much all the time. There's, you, it keeps you on your toes. You can't stay stagnant because if you stay, stay stagnant and don't push yourself, 
your competitors get in front. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I, I 100% agree. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been doing this stuff for a long time yeah. now. I'm, I'm a very old man. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but I am learning all the time. And like you say, yeah. the, the, the landscape shifts almost without you noticing sometimes mm -hmm. and you'll look over your shoulder and think well hang on I've been doing this and it's no longer working and why, yeah. why the hell is that and you know it's only by trying things and trying to keep up with what's going on and experimenting yeah. that you you adapt to the way things are changing and it's not just technology a lot is made of technological no, change no. which is fair enough but it's consumer behavior, the way people use this stuff is, yeah. is slowly morphing all the time. And that's where I think a lot of people come un unstuck, is mm. not quite getting the mindset of people and thinking, well, what I did yesterday is going to work today, when it's yeah. not the case, you know? Exactly, yeah. It's so, so important to take that attitude, I think, because ultimately digital strategies, you can't have the same one for 12 months it will like you just can't you can't and I think you can do that in the traditional PR world can't you you can say look I'm going to do four campaigns a year and it's going to run like clockwork and that's that's what it's going to do but if you set out a strategy for 12 months for, for one campaign or one camp or one client sorry that strategy that you had 12 months ago may not work in, for the next 12 months you've kind you've always got to be refreshing refining looking at what the competitor's doing and as you just said I think experimenting is a huge part of that as well we don't know sometimes if our campaigns you know are always going to work we we have processes and validation stages and stuff like that with our campaign ideas you know in in what we do to try and uh, reduce risk but ultimately you, you sometimes just have to give things a go you have to try a new way of pitching something in you have to try and you know meet journalists and approach things in a different way um, in order to be successful I've got a couple of small technical questions for you and yeah. th these come as a result of conversations that have happened recently in the digital download slack group yeah and they refer to the value of measurement as it relates to seo and pr combined if you like digital pr let's call it yeah so when you're measuring things and your agency what value do you place on firstly domain authority and secondly on no follow links Sure. So firstly, domain authority is a metric essentially made up by Moz. Yep. So yes, they're a big industry leader and I guess thought leaders with what they do. But it let, we have to always remember that d domain authority, if it increases, absolutely shows you're doing the right thing. But you shouldn't hold your hat on that one metric increasing because it has been created by Moz itself. Yep. It's a good indicator that you're moving forward in the right direction. But ultimately, we try and advise clients away from becoming too fixated on it. Do you place the biggest emphasis on the sites with the highest domain authority? Or would you rather sometimes get a site with maybe, let's say, half the domain authority, but that is more relevant to the audience you're reaching out? Yeah, that's such such a good question. And again, it's something we're really trying to manage client expectations on because it's so easy to become fixated on, you know, top tier sites with DAs of say 75 and above yeah. because clients may think, yeah, we need to get on there. They're going to have the biggest and best impact. But you have to remember that relevancy 
of that link with your brand is also something that Google's looking for. Yes. So Google wants a well-rounded backlink profile. They want it needs to look natural. It needs to look like, you know, you deserve to have those good quality links. If everything is DA75 and above and on top tier press, you don't have that well-rounded backlink profile but when actually so let's say you're a travel brand and your target publications are the top tier national travel pages mail online travel sun travel brilliant that's great getting your content on there and getting followed links but it's so important to remember the likes of for example industry press so Traveller Weekly or Traveller 24 yep. or even women's and men's lifestyle press that have travel sections that may sit somewhere between, say, I don't know, DA 40 and 60. But that's where your target audience are hanging out. Yes. You know, That's where they, they're they online looking and reading for. So it's it's super, super, super important to, to get the balance between the both yep. of them. And we feed that into our outreach as well. So we often take phase launches. To, with our campaigns, we'll secure an exclusive with a really top tier high DA publication, which often plays really well for the client, uh, gives us a bit more breathing time and space to then go out and, and launch wider. But we're really looking for that well-rounded backlink profile. So managing expectations when it comes to top tier sites versus the, where your audience is hanging out and you know those mid-tier um, mid-tier sites that actually still really shift the needle when it comes to increases in rankings and traffic. Yeah, fantastic. Hopefully you agree. <laughs> it, it, I do. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. Good. And that was the point I was trying to explain within the, the Slack group I run. Yeah. Um, but I think you've done a better job than me. So that's good. The other question was related to that, which was with to do with no follow links. And you referred then to well-rounded backlink profiles. And obviously no follow links play a very important role in that because, again, Google's yeah. not looking for a site with all follow links, for example. Of course. But do no follow links have, in your opinion, any direct impact on search rankings? Because there are two slightly different arguments to this. Yeah, there are. So no follow links can still send, obviously, referral traffic yep. to your client's site. It may not be that top tier organic traffic level that you're looking for and it may not send hundreds of thousands of people your way but it is still doing something so I would argue there is still value in securing a followed link now there's also other points and measurements of value as well so for example if my team get an article on the mail online who we know uh, only give followed links uh, sorry only give no followed links I can guarantee that there's smaller press sites that will potentially pick up that story because it's on a top tier publication that then may give followed links rather than the no follow um, to link back to the content piece, which one is meaning that you're getting that well-rounded backlink profile Two, you're being a, being far more efficient with your outreach because you're, you know, you've done that one big hit and got it landed on the mail online, yep. but then it's the, the campaign's starting to take off on its own and do its own thing, which is the absolute gold mine. And three, it's also good for self-validation for your team. So it gives, it, it, it proves that actually your idea was good because you've managed to secure a link for it. It may not be that follow that you want, but it's almost like a bit of a tick in the box to say, actually, yes, my story is good, my campaign is strong. And then there's also the side of it, Google have human evaluators, which can go into backlink profiles and are looking for your site to be an authority on a given topic. And no follows tie into that argument as well, because it looks so fishy if your whole backlink profile just had followed links. 
that were of you know specific DAs, that's going to raise alarm yeah. bells and could potentially do damage long term. Whereas if you do have those no fraud followed links, and you do have some of those brand mentions, and you've got a human auditor, you know, and someone in Google HQ looking at your site going actually, yeah, you know what, they do really know what they're talking about. They're an authority on that topic, because I can see all of these different, you know, factors that are building towards that. And then, you know, that, that's only going to end up in a positive. So I know they don't give, you know, the I think I think the guy that straight link builders call it link juice. Yeah. I know they don't give the link juice of a of a followed link, but there is still so much value in them for, for kind of softer reasons. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Fantastic. Thank you. People will be really glad to hear this who I've had this conversation with. <laughs> If you're a regular listener to the podcast, or even if you're not, Digital Download Live takes place in May this year in London. This is the third year it'll be run, and it's going to be a fantastic day of presentations, audience-led Q&As, and interactive workshops. Digital Download Live is not one of those conferences where you go and sit passively in a huge auditorium listening to people talk for six hours. You'll meet like-minded individuals, you'll discuss ideas and opinions, and you'll get your hands dirty in highly practical sessions. This year, we're covering topics including the conflict between technology and humanity in marketing, voice marketing through smart speakers, authority link building, AI tools for communications people, paid social media, Instagram creativity, and brand transparency. For more information and booking details, go to ddl19.co.uk. That's ddl19.co.uk. I hope to see you there. What have you noticed that have been some of the kind of the similarities and the differences between the way traditional PR people and digital PR people, SEO people, are approaching client briefs and measuring out the other side? What have you noticed having seen both sides of the of the coin? I think the similarities between briefs are harsh KPIs, you know, whether it's in the traditional world or whether it's in digital world, sorry. We need to have goals with any kind of campaign set out from the get-go. In the traditional world, it may be a reach figure. It may be um, using another tool to measure, you know, share of voice or, or whatever. And in the digital world, for me specifically, in the kind of digital SEO world, we're looking at things like an increase in rankings for a subset of keywords, you know, 20 of the most important keywords that people are searching for in their yep. search queries. We want to be getting those up into pages one and two of Google so that then that ultimately influences revenue and, and the bottom line in the digital world. I guess we're also, might, there's been a bit of a, a shift in the, you know, we want to be increasing traffic because also if you increase traffic, um, then surefire conversions increase. Yeah, yeah. And again, you're influencing that that bottom line. So similarities in the sense that there's always clear goals defined, but the way in which you get there is different, I think, because of that online and offline focus. I guess another similarity between both worlds is that clients want their campaigns to work as hard as they possibly can for them to get the best possible ROI because, you know, whether that be uh, 100 press clippings a quarter or 100 links, there is, you know, that there's still that notion that, well, hey, I'm really investing in this service. It needs to perform well and it has to deliver Mm -hmm. against those goals. There's also similarities in some of the tactics that we use to kind of execute these briefs um, and bring these campaigns to life. So I mentioned earlier on about kind of media relations and stuff like that. We focus a lot 
on building good, solid relationships with top tier press and making sure that, you know, we've got that little black book of contacts that we can send campaigns out to and get feedback on and, and stuff like that. We also approach our creative brainstorms and stuff in a very similar way. So going back to my traditional PR agency days, you know, we would all huddle around a room, thrash things out until we've got some campaigns in place. We take a similar process here. So lots of brainstorming um, and stuff like that. We've got a very robust process. So we normally have three brainstorms that will produce anywhere between kind of three and six ideas, which is normally six to 12 months plans for our clients. So yeah, I guess very similar when it when it comes to creativity as well and also got very young team (laughs) so that I guess that's more tying into what we were talking about with like digital natives and stuff like that I remember back in Uh the agency uh, the traditional PR agency you know it was it was essentially quite a young team and we're still quite a young team now so um, I think that's quite indicative of yeah the, the digital native kind of vibe <laughs> yeah absolutely so so going back to your presentation at, at yes. brighton seo then so this was built around the recovery of a campaign when something fails effectively yeah. which let's face it we have all done stuff and it's bombed i've done it you've obviously done it yeah and i'm so glad you're saying that <laughs> well I, if anyone says they've never done anything which is completely bombed yeah they are just lying let's face it exactly exactly but yeah so you chose to do a whole presentation at brighton seo the biggest seo yeah. conference in in the uk about this so this was based on basically a real life example right yeah so basically i was kind of thinking about what and i was kind of talking to calvin at brighton seo and some of the guys here and i think with some of these huge industry events it's really really easy for people to get on stage and talk about shiny things that they've done yep. and how well it's performed yep. but actually we learn the most when we talk about failures because i can through my experience of having a campaign bomb and bomb pretty hard <laughs> hopefully then try and avoid that happening to other people and i can share tactics that i used to kind of get it back on track with the team and you know it didn't go viral i'm not going to pretend it did but when you know when in the early days you don't have any links and coverage and you manage to get it to nearly 20 pieces it's not a bad job it's an okay turnaround yeah. so yeah i guess i just wanted to be really honest and share the the kind of experience and the struggle that i've gone through with the team and and how we got it back on track and kind of pull together this five point plan or checklist that people could use if they find themselves in the same unlucky experiences which again being really honest it's going to happen yep. you've got something there that you can try and fall back on but yeah it, it all centered around a, um, a very painful campaign fail for me really interestingly was in the first three months while I was at era so <laughs> I wasn't out of my probation right. I, <laughs> I um, was going through that huge steep learning curve around kind of content but what I could play upon was those traditional PR skills that I had and outreach that definitely helped me get back on track. So yeah, the campaign was for a client that we work for called RS Components. It's uh, now one of our largest clients and we absolutely love working with them. You know, they're, they're brilliant. Luckily, they trusted us enough 
as well, which was a big fact, a factor in this whole kind of presentation that actually you really, really need to manage expectations and you need to continue to develop that relationship with the client and get them to trust you and get them to give you the space to fix things. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than when a campaign bombs and two days later, you know, you're you're getting you're, you're having awkward phone calls and you're having awkward meetings about how poorly it's performed. Yeah. You actually need a couple of weeks to get things back on track. And we were lucky enough to um to, to be given that opportunity. Yeah, it would be interesting to know why it failed. In your opinion, what are the reasons these sorts of campaigns fail? So for me, in this campaign in particular, it was released in kind of 2016, 2017, when there was lots of talk about oil reserves and oil prices were increasing. And we created a couple of gifts that when the user landed on the page, they could hit a button and there was a huge oil drum for each country. So we had USA, we had the UK, we had you know a multitude of oil drums on the page. They hit the gift below and it would show you how quickly, if we carried on using oil at the current rate, how quickly countries' res- reserves would deplete. Okay. Now, I was really proud of the campaign. The content was great. It's the first time I'd ever created a gift. I loved it. You know, I was so confident yeah. in this campaign because environmental press were talking about it. I was speaking, you know, I was getting my media list and stuff like that pulled together. And I was, I was thinking, this is going to be good. You know, I'm really excited about it. The failing that we had or that I personally had was that it was going to be launched around the time of the US presidential election. Okay. And we took it out to press on the Tuesday and we woke up to Donald Trump being elected as as the US president on the Wednesday. And you can, yeah, you can just tell right now from what I'm saying, nobody cares about my little fun oil campaign. People were in utter shock that this guy had taken a seat in the White House, the biggest, most important seat in the White House, and had overnight gone from, you know, one of the most powerful businessmen in the world to becoming one of the most powerful men overall in the whole world. (laughs) Unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. It's safe to say that nobody cared about my little campaign, no matter how good it looked and how strong I thought the story was, simply because the media was so oversaturated with this news. Every single sector of the press were talking about it in a way that was relevant to them. So environmental press were talking about one thing. We had news desks talking about another, so I couldn't take it out there. So yeah, no no wonder that after first launch, we got zero pieces of coverage, including zero links. Yeah. Looking back on it, I should have been brave enough at the time to probably say, actually, we should hold off. Let's let everything settle down. But being keen to please and wanting to get results, I went for it. So yeah, there were some good learnings. But out of that, we were able to kind of come up with a bit of a process to help get failing campaigns back on track. The first thing, I guess, to cover is actually giving yourself that time and space to to reevaluate that campaign. We sat down that week as a little team. I think there was only three of us at the time. And we absolutely covered all the bases in terms of, you know, where did this go wrong? Now, I personally believe in the digital SEO kind of content marketing focused world, there are five elements of your campaign that can cause failure. So the big one for me, launch timings, and that's exactly where it went wrong with my campaign. It can come down to also being potentially the journalists and the bloggers that you're going out to, you know, have you got your prospects and your media list right? Are you going to the right people at the right time? 
it can a lot of what we do focuses around data and bringing to life a unique or complex data set it could be that your sources are weak that your methodology isn't clear that actually it's old as well is it you know is it old news there's also this big debate in the industry at the moment around surveys and if we should even be doing surveys because you know we're making such bold headlines and claims when actually we're only talking to 2000 people yes absolutely it could be the design as well you know is it too complicated is it too branded and then finally like covering things like your story so um it's very easy to place the brand at the center of everything that you're doing and talking about drop the brand name you need to start focusing on the journalist audience and your brand audience as soon as you start ramming brand names in there it becomes too self-serving too promotional no one's really going to cover it when you're talking about storytelling yeah i know that's the second step of your five-step process yeah and and that obviously bleeds heavily across from what you were doing before as we've talked about because yeah. it's one thing that traditional pr people are very proud of and and very skilled at doing is taking effectively data or facts as you might see them and building a story from that which actually means something to people yeah definitely and I was able to use a different campaign to exemplify and illustrate the difference between a statement versus a story so the campaign itself that I used for this example we released it in January 2018 so it was when Jeff Bezos overtook Bill Gates as the most richest man in the world and Amazon shares and stuff were skyrocketing and they were hot on Apple's heels and kind of Microsoft heels so we created this interactive piece of content it was off the back of a really really dense data set that revealed what country's GDP was equivalent to in terms of how many Bezos it was. So for the United States of America, it was the equivalent of like 193 Bezos. But then you start to look at some of the smaller countries with with smaller GDPs like Switzerland to prove how rich this guy was. It was only coming out as the equivalent of like, you know, eight Jeff Bezos's. That Uh kind of thing, which is kind of quite shocking. When looking at things like a statement, if I was going to make a statement about this campaign, which is great when you're talking to the client and it's great when you, you know, measure trying to measure and and look at the campaign internally the statement would be something along the lines of rs components reveal that bezos's net worth is you know the equivalent of different countries gdp but the story and this is the one thing that the journalists are going to be interested in because you start to put that audience at the forefront of everything you do we for our subject lines and our pitches and we crafted the whole press release that went out to american press around this so we would start saying things like jeff bezos's wealth is now the equivalent to x amount of americans right and straight away if you know if you're an american reading usa today you would start to think like wow okay that's a bit i can i can like resonate with that story i can start to compare how rich bezos is with my own wealth and and in comparison to the rest of america as well and it's a little bit more emotive it's more engaging actually it has context exactly exactly so we're able to come up with a whole bunch of those different stories so one for uk press one for us press we went out to lots of different countries specific press as well as tech press too and it worked really really well so it got i think the campaign itself got like more than 100 pieces of coverage and including 97 followed links yeah our biggest hits were on usa today cnn and cnbc which because RS Components is a global brand, is great for them because it's kind of taking them stateside as well. You know, they are in the US, they are in the UK, they're, they're worldwide. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it worked really well, but hopefully that kind of illustrates the difference between those stories and statements and why you really, really need to be pushing the story element of it. Absolutely. And, and building in as part of that, I guess it's important then to get the input of, of 
journalists maybe into that? Yeah, definitely. And that that was a point in which kind of later on in the Brighton SEO presentation I was trying to make. We started warming up different sectors of the press two weeks before this campaign launched. So we had a journalist at USA Today who wanted all of the kind of USA-related stats and a USA-focused comment from a senior stakeholder at RS. He was kind of sitting, ready and waiting, wanting this information for when we launched. We'd asked him, you know, what do you need to make this story work for your readers? And that's when we were able to work with um, stakeholders at RS to say, actually, this chap at USA Today needs a quote that centres around this. He needs to, you know, start to draw comparisons with this piece of data. And so, so, yeah, the journalist wasn't getting that story cold we almost you know were were working with him and warming him up in the early stages of that process now on the other side of that working with journalists after your campaign has potentially failed is a really really good way of getting constructive feedback as prs and, and digital prs too going back to that like little black book of contacts you've probably got four or five contacts that you can ask, hey, what's your opinion on this? Or you can talk to them normally because you've worked with them so many times. And if budget allows, why not pay them for a little bit? Get them in the office for an afternoon or get on a call with them and and talk them through a data set and see what they think is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. We're kind of running out of time, but I just wanted to cover, you talked in this presentation about digital press packs and the value of those. And about how people view a press pack as very much a traditional sort of PR thing. Um, What's your view on why people need to do that? In the traditional PR world, press packs are created, posted out so that you get something in a journalist's hands. So that when you launch a campaign, they've got everything they need there to be able to write that article. But we live in a digital world. So taking that traditional press pack and then putting it digitally online means that when you're launching that campaign, there is this online hub that's got a multitude of different assets in there that journalists can use, whether it be images, whether it be embed codes for content, whether it be, you know, video files or recordings of interviews with key stakeholders. It it doesn't matter. Pop everything in there that, you know, you can give a journalist for this campaign. And then they've got it like a menu to pick and select and choose so that they can craft the best possible story for their readers. Going one step further, journalists are starting to be measured in different ways. You know, they're not just being measured anymore from how many newspapers are sold. And this goes back to the earlier chat that we had around kind of why I specifically moved into um, the digital world. But they're starting to be measured on engagement rates for articles and impressions and how long people you know are spending reading their articles which means their articles have to be the best that they possibly can be and they're up against deadlines right whether you work in the traditional or digital world it's a given that a journalist is always on a deadline they have to churn out content and features so if you can make their lives easier by giving them everything they need so they don't have to keep bugging you and emailing you it means your article goes up quicker. It's a higher quality piece of coverage or feature and everyone's happy. The digital press pack is one of the easiest things to implement because, you know, it takes 15, 20 minutes yeah. to pull it together on a Google Drive. But it really, really, really helps, you know, your campaign kind of go far. Well, listen, this has been a really interesting chat. Absolute pleasure to have you on and talking to you again for oh, the first time much. in ages, I think. But anyway. I know. Yeah, it's been brilliant chatting to you too, Paul. 
where can people get hold of you if they would like to talk to you more about this? Sure. So the easiest way to probably get in touch is probably Twitter or LinkedIn. So my Twitter handle is at Shannon McGurk. Feel free to yeah directly tweet me or drop me a DM. My slides for the Brighton SEO talk, if you want to kind of spend a bit more time going over them, are also on SlideShare. And again, you can find them by just searching for my name. Absolutely. And we'll put a link in the show notes to that that resource for you. Lovely. So thank you again. It's been, uh, uh, like I said, it's been a pleasure. No worries. Thank you very much, Paul. Speak soon. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered or people you'd like to hear from, contact me on Twitter where I'm at the Paul Sutton. Thank you for listening.